0: TheYeshiva.net July 20th, 1969, summer Tavshon Khaftes it was, the world witnessed one of the great technological miracles of human history as man set foot on the moon. It was, I think, 4.17 p.m., Neil Armstrong set foot on the surface of the moon and he made his famous uh, declaration that has become quite immortal. He said this is one small step for a man and a giant step, a giant leap from mankind. But the Jewish fascination and preoccupation with the moon goes back thousands of years before 1969. In fact, much of Judaism is really a meditation on the moon. Now this may seem strange, but let's learn together. A posse in Parsha's boy, Shmois, Perik Yud Bez, Possek Aleph, that's Exodus, the beginning of chapter 12, says the Torah. Mitzrayim lemer. HaShem speaks to Moshe and Aaron in the land of Egypt. What does He say to them? This month shall be for you the head of all the months. It should be the first one for you for all the months of the year. Then he changes the subject, and Hashem continues to command Moshe Aaron that the Jewish people should purchase, obtain a sheep in order to offer the Pesach, the Passover offering, two weeks later on the 14th day of Nisan, observe the first Seder of history, the first Pesach Seder of history, the night before they would leave their bondage, the night before they would experience redemption from Egypt. So this commandment is really the first mitzvah, the first communication of Hashem to Moshe and Aaron, literally two weeks before the Jewish people were to become an independent nation and leave slavery. Comes Rashi, and as is his custom, wants to explain to us the meaning of the Pasuk. Literally at the surface, the Pasuk is repetitive. He says, this month shall be the head of all the months. The head of all the months would mean the beginning of all the months. And then he continues and says exactly the same thing. This is the first month of the months of the year. Hence Rashi quotes the Medrash. The Medrash in Mechilta and in Shinreish Shemais Rabbah, The Medrash Rabbah and the Mechilta explain that the Pasuk is actually saying two separate things. The second half of the Pasuk is telling us that this month should be the first month of the year. Whenever we speak about month one, which month is it? It's this month, the month which we call Nisan. Even though in Chumash you don't have the names of the month. You only have the numbers of the months. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, In Chumash will not say, he'll not say in Chumash that they are in the month of Tishrei. Those names, as the Yerushalmi brings, came later in Jewish history. They came up with the Jews from Babylonia. When they came up from Babylonia to build a second Mesa Mikdash... Shmoi Sachadashim, Imahem, Mi bavel. is brought in Yerushalmi, Taisus brings it, we just learned it in Mesechter, Yerushalm, Adav zayah. However, the refers, the Chumash refers to months only in numbers. So the month of Tishrei is month number seven. The tenth day of month seven is Yom Kippur. How do you know what month seven is? You have to know what month one is. So the second half of the Pasik speaks about the order of the month, that this month is the first month. The first half of the Pasik is saying something else Zakrashi. Ha-choidosh doesn't mean the month. ha comes from the word chidush, chadosh, which means new. In fact, that's why the month is called the month. The reason a month is called chidosh comes from the word chadosh, new, as we will see in a moment. So Rashi says, ha hazeh. her Hashem showed Moshe the new moon. He saw the moon being renewed. And he says to him, when you see a new moon, this you have to call Chaydash, the head, the first day of the month. Now, we hear this, Grow, everyone probably here, many people growing up, heard this, we hear this our whole life. Rosh Chodesh is the new month, the new moon. What happens? The moon gets renewed. If you ask somebody, what happens exactly to the moon on Rosh Chodesh? The moon goes to get to exercise and gets renewed. The moon does some yoga, or meditation, or Pilates, and gets renewed. The moon goes on vacation. What's The moon gets renewed. How does a moon get renewed? What does it do? It drinks some pina colada or a or a, or a, or a ice coffee or a hot coffee. How does a moon get renewed? What does it mean? But Rashi says he showed him the new moon, Hachodesh Hazeh. Not this month. Hazeh. Whenever you say Hazeh, it means you could point to it. It's here. Zeh. Zeh is here, right? So he pointed to the new moon, and he says, you see this? HaKodesh HaZeh, when you see this new moon, not the first month, it's HaKodesh, it's the beginning of old months. In other words, it's the first time he gives him the mitzvah we call kiddush HaKodesh, how to establish the first day of the month. And yet the Pasik does not, Go away from the literal interpretation, which is Al Nisan Amarloi. On this month of Nisan, he told them, This should be number one in the order of the months. Shei Iyer is two, and Sivan is three, and Tamuz is four, and Av is five, etc. Elu six, Tishrei seven, and so you go along till other is the twelfth month, which is also how this comes from the Gemara Rosh e Hashanah, which we're learning actually in the morning, where we learned the second interpretation that Rashi brings, which is the literal interpretation of the Pesach. On the word hazeh. Rashi adds another detail here. He showed him, he showed him the new moon. Hashem could have given him a sheer. Moshe had a good mind. God could have given him a sheer, like most Urim and yeshiva are not visual. But God decided to become Visual. Moshe had difficulty with the birth of the moon. What's the size that the moon has to appear in order that it should be suitable to make it a new month? What does it have to look like? How big? How small? What does it have to look like? This is not so easy to understand because... You don't have to have a certain Shia. You see the moon, it's good, you're good to go. You see the moon, I don't care what it looks like. You see it, it's good to go. You have to understand what Rashi means. struggle. B'aiza Shia So with his finger he pointed to the moon in the sky. You see this? When you see this, kazeh. When you'll see a moon like this throughout every month, every year, Shchaidish, you see it. Vikadesh. this day you make holy. This is the new day. And Rashi continues. This portion was said before, right near sunset, near, uh, close to sunset. The problem Rashi struggles with is the communication between Hashem and Moshe during daytime. During the daytime, you don't see. The moon, so Rashi says it was during the day, but it was right before sunset. As it was getting dark, as the sun was setting, he could point to the moon and show him the Levana and say, Ha Khoidish Hazheh, Khazh Ree Vikadesh. Rosh. Huh? Not a full moon at all, Rashi says. Rashi says, he shows him the new moon. The new moon is never, ever a full moon, by definition. The, full moon, the new moon is a, a, tiny, uh, a tiny sliver, what we call a crescent. A crescent, right? Let's see another Rashi. Rashi Bereshus Aleph Aleph. Even if you were thrown out of school at the age of five, this Rashi you should know because it's the first Rashi on Chumash. So before even you had time to make trouble. Zok Rashi. But very few people actually know this Rashi. Because who goes back to Bereshis Aleph Aleph? We're busy with uh, much more sophisticated learning. The first Rashi of the whole Chumash, Dr. Rashi Bereshis. Amr Rabbi Yitzchak. Rabbi Yitzchak said, some people say that Rashi opened up his commentary on Chumash with these words because his father's name was Yitzhak. Rashi's family name, we call him Yitzchaki. Rabbi Yitzhaki, Yitzchaki. Rashi, Rabbeinu Shloyme Yitzchaki. His father was Yitzchak. So to pay tribute to his father, he opened up his commentary by quoting something in the name of one of the sages by the name of his father, who had the name, who his father had that name, Reb Yitzchok. Omer um, Reb Yitzchok. Really, the whole Torah should have begun from the beginning, in middle of Parshas Boy, from the words Vayomer Hashem al Moishe v'alar n'achaydesh hazalchem. Shehi mitzvah rishonah shenetzdavo Yisrael. It's the first mitzvah that the Jewish people were ever commanded. And Rashi wonders, tam Pasach be Why does the Torah open up with Bereshus? Now, I would have answered, because from Parshas Boy, a lot of people actually lose interest in Chumash. Till Parshas Boy, it's full of stories. They like it. Once Parshas Boy hits, it's a whole different Chumash. Till Boy, it's drama and stories. But Rashi didn't uh, favor this answer for obvious reasons. So Rashi gives a whole other answer. The answer Rashi famously gives is that the world, it's interesting that Rashi should write this in the 11th century, in the 1000s, when he lived in France, in Troy in France. Rashi says that the world is going to accuse the Jewish people as occupiers. List them, at them your thieves, for owning, being, living in the land of Israel because it's not your land. In order to, for the Jews to be able to dispute this notion, you have to have the whole Sefer Bereshis, and Shmois, and Ve'era, boy, which was unnecessary, in order for Jews to be able to have what to answer. To be able to appreciate the fact that the world was created by Hashem, and He designated one piece of land in this large planet, a very small piece of land, to His people. That's why you begin with Bereshis. What we want to focus on is the question. From Rashi's perspective, Amar Reb Yitzchak, HaKoy Shazal should have been the beginning. It doesn't really fit in it, but I'm compelled to share it with you. There was an alcoholic that I knew very well. We used to call him Reb Zalman the Shikr. I grew up in a neighborhood and he was a, uh, a pivotal member, uh, an indispensable asset to uh, growing up. He was a real, real alcoholic, but with class. He had depth. He was a very interesting person. So he once told me a Yavart, so Yavart, and this is only somebody who's, who's dealt with the misery of life for decades. He says, let me tell you my pshat in this Rashi. The Pesach says, In the beginning God created heaven and earth. So the first thing Rashi says is, There was really no need for it. <laughs> he says, that's it. That's what Rashi wants to tell you. The whole thing was really an exercise in futility and depression. I told you, you have to be a real alcoholic to be able to be margish, uh, such a wart. So this should have been the opening of Torah, HaKhoydosh Now, let's understand what Rashi is telling us here. What is this new moon? What is this Rishchoydosh? What did Hashem show Moshe Rabbeinu? How does it work? What is the system? So, as always, when it comes to understanding any system in Judaism, the man to look for, the man to go to is always the Rambam. The Rambam was the great systemizer, codifier, and organizer of Jewish law. So the Rambam has a whole section, Hilchis Kiddush HaKaidosh. It's one of the most complex sections in the Rambam because of it's profound and complex astronomical calculations. But that's the later chapters in Rambam, beginning from chapter 11 and on, through chapter, I think it's 19 chapters. Here, we have the first few chapters of Kiddush HaKadosh. I chose selectively a few halachas that I want to learn with you inside. And on the second side of the sheet, you have images that I prepared in order to be able to illustrate what the Rambam is saying. So, hopefully today you'll have at least a basic understanding of what happens on Rish Chodesh and how the Jewish calendar is created. Again, this doesn't exhaust it. We're only dealing with one topic and one aspect. But it's a beginning and it's a basis of our discussion. Zag der Rambam, Hilchis Kiddush, Achodesh, Perek, Aleph. Listen to his words by the Rambam. Every word is priceless. It's a priceless jewel of how to think, how to organize, how to structure, how to develop and how to present. Zag der Rambam. In Judaism, the months of the year are the months of the moon. How do I know? We don't take anything for granted. In Parshish Pinchas, the karbenoila of the chodesh, and why does the it Torah say chodesh? It's an extra word. Because our chodesh is chodesh. Happens when there is a new moon. Chodesh means when there's something new. And how do you see from here that our months are lunar months? The showed Moshe through prophecy the image of the moon. That's what What do we learn from these two verses? The Rambam says Our months follow. The months of the moon, the years that we recognize that we count, are solar years. In Parshas Re'e, guard the month of spring, and seasons. Of course, are based not on the lunar orbit but on the solar orbit. What is the Rambam telling us here? The Rambam is telling us here the most fundamental truth about. The Jewish calendar. And that is that our months must follow the months of the moon. Not the months of the sun, but the months of the moon. What does it mean to follow the months of the moon? It means as follows. The moon orbits around the earth. It finishes its orbit after 29 and a half days, and a little more. That's when the moon comes back to the place where it began its orbit. So the moon orbits around the earth and it completes every every hakafah, every orbit after 29 and a half days. To be exact, as the Rambam explains, it's 29 days and 12 hours. That's why I say 29 and a half days. It takes 29 days. 29 days would mean periods of 24 hours times 29 plus another half a day, plus 12 hours, plus three minutes, three minutes, and and a few seconds. That's what it is. So it's 29 days plus 12 hours, I'm sorry, I said, I said three minutes. 44 minutes. 29 days, 12 hours, 44. Okay, let's do this again. I'm going to use the words of the Ramam and then translate an hour vocabulary because I'm getting confused. It's Chavtes yudbez, Tovshin Sadegimel. Meaning, it's 29 days, it's 12 hours, so we're good, and then you have another part of an hour. How much of another hour? Not another full hour, because then we would say 13 hours. It's 12 hours plus another part of an hour, what the Rambam calls which means 793 parts of an hour. He divides hours into 1,080 parts, 793 parts of an hour, which is approximately 44 minutes. That's when the orbit ends. There's a problem, however. This orbit finishes and the moon starts again. When the moon comes back to its original space, that's called a new month. Because the orbit is starting again. That's what we call the new moon. Nothing happens to the moon on Rishchidosh. The moon is just resuming the orbit. So it's called a new moon. Chidosh comes from the word Chadash, Chidush, a new moon. When does this new moon start again? After 29 and a half days. The problem, of course, is that then Rish Chodesh would be in the middle of a day. After 29 and a half days, suddenly you would have Rish Chodesh. However, the Torah makes clear that Rish Chodesh has to be a self-contained day. Not part of a day is not Rish Chodesh, and part of a day is Rish Chodesh. Therefore, naturally, what's the system? The system is that you make one day Rish Chodesh, but when? It's 29 and a half days. So what you do is, six months of the year you make Rishchidosh after 29 days. And six days of the year you make Rishchidosh after 30 days. In other words, for six months, the month is 29 days, which is not real. Because really the month ends after 29 and a half days. So you lost 12 hours. You're behind. On the other, on the other six months, what do you do? You make your month 30 days. So really you're ahead. And that's how you even it out. At the end of the year, you even it out more or less because you do six and six generally. Because it's not mamish 12 hours. It's an extra. It's more than 12 hours. So ultimately, it's going to catch up on you. That's why we have two months out of the year that are undecided. Cheshvin and Kislev. Cheshvin and Kislev could both be 30 days. They can both be 29 days. And they could be one month 29 and one month 30. That's because it's not exactly 29 and a half days. If it would be 29 days and 12 hours, then 6 and 6 would be perfect. 29, 30 would balance it out. But we don't have that. So in order to make sure that a discrepancy doesn't grow, it's it's like a credit card bill. It catches up on you. And after a few years, you don't know what hit you. So therefore, we straighten it out. So when the Rambam says, The months that we count are the months of the moon. This is very significant. We follow the moon's cycle. That's what a month is. Now, this is fine. But here's the issue. Let's go to the sun for a moment. The sun doesn't finish an orbit after 29 days. The orbit of the sun around the earth, or if you want to say the orbit of the earth around the sun, I'm not going to get into that discussion at the moment. But the orbit of the sun around the earth, or the earth around the sun finishes... After 365 and a half days. That's a lot longer than 29 days. That's 365 days. The moon after 29 and a half days is done, starts over. The sun is not done till after 365 days. So therefore, to quote the the moon has no year and the sun has no month. The moon has no year and the sun has no month. The moon has a month and the sun has a year. And that's why, what do you do? So what you could do is you could take the year of the sun and divide it into 12 parts, into 12 units. And that would be months based on the sun. So the Ramam says, we don't do that. Our months have to be the months of the moon. Don't, not of the sun. Don't take the sun's orbit and divide it into 12 units and create artificial months. We don't do that. We make the months of the moon. You understand? Because the sun has a whole different orbit. The sun finishes after 365 and a half days. Okay, so we make the months of the moon. So how do we have a year now? Oh, it should be simple. You take a month of the moon, you multiply 12 times, and after 12 months, you have a year. The problem is, the Rambam says, our years have to follow the, the, the sun. Our months have to follow the moon. Our years have to follow the sun. Oy now you, create a headache. now you created a headache. This is the headache of the Jewish calendar. One of the headaches of the Jewish calendar. You're trying to create peace between two systems that don't work together. It's like marriage. It's not easy. So if you know what you're doing, it could be magic. If you don't know what you're doing, it could be a disaster. It's not a joke, by the way. The sun and the moon in, 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 in Svarim is, is, a, is a relationship. It's not simple. We're trying to synchronize the two systems. And the systems are very different. Because take the moon's month, which is what? 29 and a half days. Multiply that month 12 times and give me a lunar year. How many days are you going to get? 354. The sun's year finishes after 365. That's an 11-day discrepancy. So let me tell you the problem. July 1st. Take July 1st. Let's ju- take July 1st. Let's say summer begins July 1st. Say. If summer, I'm just using a, an approximate date. If summer begins July 1st, when will the next summer begin? 365 days later. Actually, 365 and a half days later. That's, it's always going to be that way. Okay. But if July 1st this year was Rishchidosh Tammuz, if July 1st was Rishchidosh Tammuz, When will summer begin next year? It will begin Yur Aleph Tamas. It will begin Yud Aleph Tamas summer. Why? Because 365 days will not bring me to Rishchidosh Tamas. Rishchidosh Tamas will give me 354 days. But the summer begins after a solar year, not after a lunar year. The moon doesn't decide summer, the sun decides summer. If you could figure that, you could figure that out pretty easily. So that means the summer begins when Yud are Aleph What about the year late next year? Summer will begin when Chavbeis Tamas, and a year later, summer will begin Gimelov, and a year later, it will begin at the end of Av, and then in Elul, and then summer will begin in Hanukkah. and then summer will begin on Tubishvat. and then summer will begin on Purim, right? You see what's happening? And then summer will begin on Pesach. So what's the problem? The problem is, You need to make sure that Nissan is in spring. But Nissan is based on the moon, not based on the sun. Here you have a big problem. Everyone understands what I'm saying? It's clear, right? If you don't understand, ask. Don't worry. Here you won't feel dumb if you ask. You were supposed to learn this in 5th grade, in 6th grade. You remember when you learned this? But everyone shut down right away. Everybody shut down. There was one kid who understood, and everybody else was a golem. So let's do it over again. Go back to 5th grade, and this time you can ask. I had a teacher who told us he's greater than the Maharal. The Maharal had one golem, and he has 19 golems. Okay, nobody will do it this time around. No, no, it's hard stuff. You have to understand how it works. But if you understand it, you'll get an appreciation into the calendar. So people think Judaism is a hefkel. Every rabbi comes up with some new invention, and that's what everybody starts doing. It's not. There's a real system here. You see, the Rambam says. So we have here a problem. Our problem is again our months, our lunar months. How do I know? He shows him a new moon. He could have done it like the Romans did it, like the secular calendar. They don't care about the moon. They go with the sun. It's very simple. Take the sun's year, divide it into 12 months artificially. Because the sun has no month and the moon has no year. Or do like the Muslims. You know what the Muslims do? They don't care about the sun. They only care about the moon. They create a a month out of the moon like we do. Um, They make their months from the moon and then they multiply 12 times. They have a year. That's why, I don't know how many of you follow Ramadan. Anybody here fast for a month on Ramadan? (laughs) <laughs> I was once talking, I said, you could know Muhammad wasn't Jewish. Why? Because when he wanted to reform Judaism, yeah? What was he do? Instead of fasting one day in Kippur, you fast a whole month. Instead of davening three times a day, you daven five times a day. If you're already going to change Judaism, do it the other way. Not this way. When the reformers changed Judaism, they did it different. They didn't make you fast a whole month. If you realize, if you know about Ramadan, you know sometimes Ramadan is when... In the winter. Sometimes it's in the spring. Sometimes it's in the summer. Sometimes it's in the fall. Sometimes it's in autumn. Why? Because they just follow the moon. And every year it's going to be a different... It's going to be a different date. That's how it works. By us, although Jews always complain. Did you ever hear? This year Rosh Hashanah is very late. Very early. Our holidays are never on time. I never heard anybody say, this year New Year's is late. This year Thanksgiving is early. It's never... Our holidays are always late, they're always early. We're never on time. But the truth is, what's pshat? Because it's a very schizophrenic system. Because you're trying to create peace between the sun and the moon. That's the first in rambam. The first thing you have to understand. Our months follow the moon, our years follow the sun. Now you'll see halacha bays and it will be hopefully crystal clear. What's the discrepancy? of the, between the lunar year and the solar year. And you have to remember that the moon doesn't really have a year. The Evanezra says, Evanezra parches parshas boy. Beautiful expression. The moon has no year and the sun has no month. It's all artificial what's the discrepancy? Around 11 days. When the discrepancy adds up to 30 days, meaning two, three years, 11, 22, and then 30, after 22 it becomes 33. The Jewish calendar adds a full month, an artificial month. Well, All the 12 months are artificial. We add a full month. We make that year a year that has 13 lunar months, not 12 lunar months. We have to. The Ram says, I have a better idea. Why don't you make every year? Do. Month number 12 should have another few days. The 12th month should have, the year, the year should be 12 months and a few days. Every year by us should be 12 months and then add 11 days. What's the big deal? Why do you have to make a leap year? Every year add the days that you need to catch up to the sun. What's the big deal? July 1st is summer again. It's Rishchaydish Tammuz, no problem. Add your 11 days. We can't do that, Zodkot Rambam. Sh'nemar l'chot Hashanah. The Torah clearly says that the year has to be comprised of months, not of days. So all we can do is, we can add a month to a year, not a day to a year. So what do I do? After three years, I'm 33 days behind, I put in, I give the moon an extra 30 days. I caught up to the sun. I gave my moon an extra month. I gave it an extra month, it almost caught up. There's now only a three day difference. Right? There's only a three-day difference because I added 30 days. You can add 29 days, you can add 30 days. Okay. The, that best can decide. Now the problem is, a year later, I'm 11 days behind plus three days. So I'm how many days behind? 14. The next year, I'm another 11 days. So what am I? 25 days. Now they're going to do another leap year. They'll put in another 30 days. Now the moon is ahead five days. Now they'll wait three years. Every 19 years, there's perfect Shalom bias which is how sometimes how long it takes for a marriage to work out. <laughs> Every 19 years, they get on the same page. That's what the therapists say. Every 19... Oh, I'm a chaya. Huh? Oh. <laughs> Every 19 years, there's perfect symmetry. There's mummish no difference. There's per- and then, after 19 years, you go back to therapy for another 19 years, and you're always working out the differences. As long as you're working on it, you're good to go. yes. That's why. That's why you'll realize every 19 years, your two birthdays will be the same. Why? Because the birthday of Haftessivin, Aleph Nissen is based on the lunar month. The birthday of April 15 is based on the solar year, because that's the Roman American calendar today, what we call the Western calendar. They're never the same. They'll never, but once in 19 years, you could celebrate both birthdays together. Huh? Uh, ah? Yeah. 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 Zog the Rambam Gimel. Now don't get lost in Gimel. For this, we have pictures. Halavona nisteres bechol chaydish v'chaydish. The moon has another issue. The moon disappears. From our perspective, of course, every month, It will be invisible for around two days, or a little more, or a little less. One day before it has dveikus in the sun, now we have to understand what this means, because the moon never has dveikus in the sun, never attaches itself to the sun, we'll see in a moment. One day before it cleaves to the sun, one day after, you won't see it. But a day later, that night in the West, you'll see it. The night that you see it after it was invisible, that's what we call Reish the new month. That day, that night, we begin counting 29 days. If you see the moon on night 30, meaning after 29 days you see the moon the night of 30, day 30 became the new head of the new month. Vim If you don't see it, your new month will be day 31, and your old month will have 30 days. What is the Rambam telling us here? Take a look at the other side, and you'll see. Picture number one. The moon is invisible. Why is the moon invisible? Look where the earth is. The earth is on one side, the moon is in the middle, the moon is between, you see? Between the sun and the earth. This is called dveikas. Dveikas yichud shimshe Or what the Ramam calls dveikas shemesh Meaning there's a perfect line between the sun, the moon and the earth. Because we are looking towards the moon and we can only see half of the ball of the moon. The moon is a ball. And the half that we see is what? Facing us. And the other half of the moon is perfectly parallel to the sun. It's completely taking in the sun's light. And it's not reflecting anything to us. That's the moment that the moon is in perfect symmetry with the sun. Getting all of the light of the sun. And therefore not showing anything to us. So the sun grows dark. That, I'm sorry, the moon grows dark. Look what happens the next day. A day later, you see, the moon moved a little bit out of position. So what do we see? It's only moved a little bit. So we see a tiny little crescent, a tiny little sliver. That's what the moon looks like. And it's very, very small. Most of the moon we can't see. Why? Because it's still parallel to the sun and therefore I don't see its light. The moon doesn't have its own light. The moon is reflecting the sun's light. But as the moon moves a little bit, so I could see a little bit of the moon. What happens four days later? Look where the moon is. The moon already moved much further. Ah, I could see much more of the moon. Now look what happens in the fourth image on day 14, 15 of the month. Where's the moon? The moon is the furthest from the sun. The moon is actually completely on the other side. So now actually, in a funny way, we get to see the beautiful Halavana, the complete moon on the 15th day of the month, because the moon is now completely distant from the sun. So it reflects the light of the sun in a way that we can see the full light of what we're capable of seeing. Of course, we're only seeing half of the moon, and we're only seeing it in position to the way we experience it based on where the sun is and where the moon is. That is what happens to Shavav. Now the moon continues and orbits around and gets closer to the sun, closer and closer and closer, and then it gets in between the earth and the sun in the perfect symmetry of the relationship between the sun and the moon, and again it goes invisible. And then when the sun moves a little bit away, we could start seeing that little sliver which grows from day to day, and that's why we say the moon waxes and wanes. It grows, and then till 15... And 15, it becomes wholesome from our perspective and then it starts to wane and diminish until it disappears. So the Rambam says, you already won't see it a little bit before, a day before and a day after you won't see it. But that moment, when that moon is right in between the earth and the sun and we cannot see anything, that's called the new moon, the new birth. That's the moment when the moon is invisible. But we can't do anything with that moment because we don't see it. When the moon starts moving, witnesses will see the moon. And here comes the mitzvah of Kiddush HaKadosh, that two Jews who saw the new moon have to go to Yerushalayim, to the court, and testify we saw the new moon. And that night that they saw it, that day they will come, hopefully, and Bezden will say this became Rish Chadosh. So the Rambam is saying, 29 days passed. Before 29 days you're not going to see a new moon, because the orbit only finishes after 29 and a half days. But after 29 days, sometimes that night, you could see the new moon. And if they see the new moon, Bezdin says, 30 is Rish Chodesh, and the the month was 29 days. Sometimes they didn't see the new moon. Maybe because of clouds or fog, or maybe astronomically you couldn't see the new moon. And therefore they can only see the new moon when? The next night. Which is the next night? The night after 30. So 30 is not Rishchidosh. Nobody saw a new moon. Nobody testified. When will Rishchidosh be? Day 31. And the previous month will have... 30 days. Of course you have no month that has more than 30 days. Either 29 or 30 you're not going to have. Because even if nobody sees the moon, even if it's raining for a week in Israel and nobody sees the moon, automatically day 31 will be Rishchidosh. To make Rishchidosh day 30 you need witnesses. To make Rishchidosh day 31, it's de facto. It can't be further because if you do it further then you destroy your whole system. You're not basically dealing with the moon anymore. You have your own calendar. That's what the Rambam is teaching us here. So that's basically what happens when we speak about moilah, the birth of the moon. What does it mean The moon is born. How is a moon born? It means, after that moment, that encounter between the moon and the sun, what happens after that, that's the new moon, Chidr Shalovana. It's the new birth, in other words, the moon beginning its new orbit after it disappeared from the horizon because it reflected the sun completely away from our vision, completely directed and open to the sun versus the 15th day of the month when we have the most light because paradoxically it's the most distant from the source of light. Zagdirambam der clear, clear. Zagdirambam der Hey, ein rei as This is not for every Tom, spaghetti and Harry to decide. Ella k'moy Shabbos bereches like Shabbos shekal echad moyne shisha Every Chachim counts six days and he knows when Shabbos is. You don't have to go to your rabbi and say, Rebbe, when is Shabbos? When? Is, I mean, some people do that. But you don't have to do it. You know when Shabbos is. This was given over to the court. They have to establish the day. How do we know? Again, nothing is taken for granted. Maybe not. Maybe I make Rish Chodesh. You see this new moon? This is your Rish Chodesh. It's Lachem, it's for you. Who is he talking to? Moshe this testimony of when to say we saw a new moon and this is the new day of the month, not everybody has to, 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 can do it. This is Lachem, this is for you. Who is Lachem? Moshe and Aaron, which would become replicated in every generation as the members of the Supreme Court of Judaism, known as the 71 members of the Sanhedrin who would function in Yerushalayim in the Beis HaMikdush. There is a positive commandment on Bezdin to make astronomical calculations and figure out if we're going to see the new moon on 29 at night or not. And they should investigate the witnesses. Remember, they were brilliant astronomers. If two witnesses came and said, we saw the moon last night, but Bezdin knows there was no way you could see the moon, they know that you're dealing with people, Rambam says, who are hallucinating. They're dreamers or they're liars. But give them the benefit of the doubt. They live in the world of imagination. But they don't accept them. Because they know very well the astronomical calculations. There's no way the moon will see it tonight. You saw something else. You saw something else. Some of us, there's, there's, there used to be an expression, I don't know why I'm going back to the yeshiva days. <laughs> I'm going to smack you so hard until you'll see the moon. So they saw the moon, but it wasn't nothing to do with the moon. <speaking in Hebrew> mitzvah number three is, they have to send out a message to everybody when Chodesh is, why? Who cares? If not, you don't know when the holidays are. <speaking in Hebrew> These are the verses that give the mitzvah Besdin to go through all this, all these calculations. Now you have to understand how significant it is. A Jew who eats chametz on Pesach is liable for a death penalty from heaven called Chorus. Which day is Pesach? Remember, if Rishchodesh was day 30 and not day 31, so then Pesach could be Sunday. If Rishchodesh was day 31, so Pesach is Monday. So if I say Rishchodesh was day 31 and Pesach was Monday, I'm eating chametz on Sunday and I'm not allowed to eat chametz on Sunday. So these are very, they are very serious ramifications, these are not small things. You have to understand how valuable and important the system was. This was not a, a person sits down in his room and says, let's make this Rishchadish, the weather is nice. You're dealing here with issues that deal with death penalties. So that's why the system had to be so, so precise, perfect and meticulous. Rambam Kate, Bay, Zion, Kate's at How do they welcome the witnesses? Call me Whoever sees the moon and feels that he's suitable, he's a kosher witness, you gotta go. You see the obsession with food was already then. What, about, what if you have a thousand Jews coming? Everybody saw the moon? Imagine everybody, if you wanted a free meal, you made sure you saw the moon. You came to Yerushalayim, they gave everybody huge meals because they wanted people to come. If there's no food, who's coming? Who cares about the moon? The main thing is the food. So they used to make sudas, g'doyalus, so everybody would come. Because people would say, "What do I have to go? I'm a busy guy. Jews are busy. And the less busy you are, the more busy you make yourself to be. So therefore, nobody would come. So they used to make big meals. The first group that came, the first couple, the first two witnesses, they were investigated first. They would bring in first the older one of the group. They would ask him all the questions. If what he said suited the astronomical calculations, they bring in his friend. If both of the testimony matched, awesome, we have two witnesses who gave us the right information. What do you do with all the other witnesses? You have another 3,000 witnesses. They would also bring them in and ask them some questions. Not that you need them. You already have your two witnesses. You don't want, they should go home feeling dejected, useless, pointless. You have to give them the dignity because they'll never come back again. I came for no reason. How many times can you scream wolf, wolf? And at some point people stop coming. So therefore everyone got the dignity of asking them the questions that would make them feel that they contributed to the process. Once you affirm the testimony, the head of the Sanhedrin of the Bezden who gathered for this process, says, this day is holy. The nation responds, holy, holy, and the day became holy. Which day? Day 30, if witnesses came that day and told us that they saw the moon last night, 29 at night, and if they didn't come, as we said, the next day 31 will become the Nur and day 30 is part of the last month. That's what happens. No, this system went on for how long? went on for a very long time in Jewish history. This went on from the day they leave Egypt. Moshe is told they go into Yisrael and this continues every single month. This meant you could never plan a mitzvah. People want to know why Jewish life is so stressful today. In the olden days you could never plan a mitzvah. You can't plan a wedding. You can't plan an abshenish. You can't plan a simchi. You can't plan a dinner. You know why? You don't know when it's going to be. You don't know when it's going to be. You send out invitations. His Bar Mitzvah, is Zion Adr, everybody should come. You don't know when Zion Adir is. It could be Sunday, and it could be Monday. So there was no planning. A You had to live month to month, literally, like in recovery. Month to month, day to day, hour to hour. There was no, no preparations. You had to live now. Why? I don't know when Zion Adir is going to be. Depends when your Adr is going to be. Is your Adr going to be a day earlier, a day later? There was no head planning. It was a machai, you imagine? Huh? Unless you can make a three-day bash. Like today, the weekends in the hotel, it would work. While you take everybody to the hotel, the b'mitzvah could be either Friday, it could be Shabbos, it could be Sunday, it could be Monday. As long as you have that money, then it would work. But since most people could not afford that, so therefore they used to plan the b'mitzvah a day before or a few hours before. So, you have to understand, there was no planning, we didn't know dates. You didn't know dates. Every month was a new experience. Either it's going to be one day Chodesh or another day Chodesh. I can't plan Pesach, I can't plan Sukkot, I can't plan Hanukkah, I can't plan Purim. I mean, I can plan the season, but I can't plan the exact day, I can't make invitations. That itself saves money. All this comes to a dramatic halt. As you know, today people plan nine years in advance, especially a bar mitzvah, right? Sometimes the baby is born and they already plan the bar mitzvah and the khaza they already even know the shidduch before talking to anybody, because sometimes it's not the boy who has to marry the girl, it's the family of the boy that has to marry the family of the girl, And by some people that's much more important than the couple having symmetry is that the families have symmetry. So that the seven days of Shavu Brachas you should feel that your is a man who's suitable to sit in your presence. What happens for the next 70 years? Irrelevant. How do I feel about what? (laughs) Okay. So we plan. When did all this happen? You'll... uh, You'll excuse me with you'll excuse my uh, subtle cynicism, which may not be that subtle. <laughs> when does, when all of this comes to a halt, why does it come to a halt? We don't do this anymore. No witnesses show up. Nobody tells us they saw a new moon. We know Rishchaydish. You could plan today, Rishchaydish of uh, where are we? Tovshinai in Zion. You could plan today when Rishchaydish Kislev or Rishchaydish Shvat. Of Tavshin, uh, hey, I love him, Tavshin, Sadik Ches is going to be. No problem. You know, when Pesach is, you know, when Shmuel is. we know if it's late, we know it's early. What happened? How did this all happen? It all happened and it changed in the year 359 after the common era. Hey, uh, Dalad, I love him, Kuf, you test in the Jewish calendar. 4,119. This is 5777 since creation. In the year 4119, it all changed. In the secular calendar, 359 after the Common Era. Now it's 2017, 359 after the Common Era. And it's credit to one man whose name was Hillel. And Hillel was the leader of the Sanhedrin. And this is 400 years exactly after the destruction of the second Beis Hamikdush. The Beis Hamikdush is destroyed in the year 70, I'm sorry, 300 years. The way of is destroyed in the year 70 after the common era, some 1900 years ago. Go to 170, 270, almost 300 years later, 359. It all transformed. What's the problem? The problem is Constantine becomes the Roman emperor. And history changes. Constantine converts to Christianity. Till then, Christianity, Christians were a hunted group like Jews. But Constantine embraces the religion with his mother in a dream. It's not for now. And once Rome becomes Christian, everything changes. Now we'll begin the horrific persecutions by the Christians of the Jewish people, which will go on for centuries and centuries. And this is before Islam was even born. This is before we had to deal with the of, unshikanish of what the Rambam calls Hanavi HaMeshuggah Muhammad. The crazy prophet Muhammad. This is all Christian days. And Constantine creates a whole new system. And this man, Reb Hillel, knows it's not the end, but it's the beginning of the end. There's no way the Jewish people will be able to hold on to the system of Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin meant there was a central spiritual body that governed all dilemmas that faced the Jewish people. Imagine there were no machloikasen. Well, there were always machloikasin if you're Jewish, but there were no ultimate debates. There was a vote, and they voted for everybody. But he realized, for that you need infrastructure. For that you need cohesiveness. For this you need peace of mind. For this you need yeshivas and smicha. You need a system. Each one of this anedin is trained and ordained by the previous one, all the way back to Moshe Rabbeinu. There's an unbroken system here. For this you need Jews in one place. He sees it's the beginning of the end. And Hillel knows, okay, we'll continue, Judaism will survive. But one thing won't survive, and that is Rish Chodesh. Why? Because the halach is, azah lachem. You need Sanhedrin, and you need Sanhedrin in Eretz Yisrael. If without that, there's no Rish Chodesh. If there's no Rish Chodesh, there's no new day of a month. If there's no new day of a month, say goodbye to Pesach, say goodbye to Shavuot. say goodbye to Sukkot, say goodbye to every Jewish holiday besides Shabbos, which is not dependent on the days of the month, is dependent on the days of the week. And that just continues week after week. And basically, the major fabric of Jewish life comes to an end and Hillel understands it can't happen that way. So what does he do? He does something fascinating. It's an extraordinary moment in Jewish history that has to be appreciated. And that is, what does he do? The Rambam will describe now what happens here. Take a look. Periket. Call Masha Marnu Mikvius Rishchayidish Alariiya Veibur Hashanah Mepnei Hazmanah Mepnei Atzairich Ein Oisin Oisayal Asan Hednu Shaberetz Yisrael Aibezdin Asmukhim Sharetis Losh Nasi Lamasan Hedrin Reshus Everything we spoke about making Rishchayidish based on the vision of the moon or adding a month to the year because you have to add a month for whatever reason. Only the Supreme Court in Eretz Yisrael can do it, or a Bezdin. They got smich in Eretz Yisrael, which the Sanhedrin gave them permission to do it. Shekach, how do you know? Maybe anybody. Shekach nemalumoy shava arin ha'choides hazel lachem roish chadashim umi piyashmu alumnu ishmi ishmi moish We have a tradition, man from man to Moishah. Shekachu pidur shadaver eduzutia mesura lachem ulachalo oimad acharei em kaima. It has to be you or people who succeed you and represent you in every generation. When you don't have a Sanhedrin you can't create months and you can't create leap years you have to use our calculation. How do you know you can use a calculation? Maybe that doesn't work. Says the Rambam This is a Halacha What is it? When you have a Supreme Court you rely on vision. You base your months on our calculations. We don't even look. Sometimes Irish Chodesh will be the day that you could see the new moon. Sometimes it'll be a day before you could see the new moon. Sometimes it'll be a day after. You have to understand the Rambam's uh, astronomical brilliance. He says it's going to be very strange that you should see that Rishchayda should be a day after you see it and only happen on the west of Israel, the Holy Land. When did they start this new calculation? The end of the era of the sages of the Gemara when Eretz Yisrael was destroyed and no permanent Bezdin of Smicha remained. During the days of the Mishnah, during the days of the Gemara, until the days of Abaya and Rav, they relied on the system of Eretz Yisro. Rav Kasher, Rav Menachem Mendel Kasher, the author of Torah Shlema, is perplexed by obvious difficulty in the Rambam. Abaya and Rava are a hundred years before the end of the Gemara's era. Abaya and Rava live in the 4th century, around 359. The Talmud Bavli ends a century later in the 5th century, at the end of the 400s. So what is happening here? So Rav Kasher suggests... No, there's two Hillels. There's Hillel Hazaken. Hillel Azokin lived a century before Khurban Bayesheini. That's Hillel and Shammai who created the school of Beis Hillel and Beis Shammai. Even before Tanayim, they're called the Zugais and Prikayavas before the Tanayim. Hillel is the father of the Tanoyim, the teacher of the Tanayim. This is a century before Churban Bayesheini. Now they're using the moon. They're using the regular vision of the moon. This is a Hillel who is a great, great, great grandson. He comes from that family. He's named after him, but he lives hundreds of years after his Zaydah, 400 years after his Zaydah, his Elta 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 Zaydah. And he is the Nasi of the Sanhedrin in the times of Abaya and So Rav Kasha suggests that Hillel actually could still do it, because he was a Sanhedrin. But he realized it's not going to happen for too much longer. So what does he do? He preempts crisis. He calculates astronomically when should Rish be, based on all the calculations. And he creates a calendar that will last till Mashiach comes. At Sheyavah Eliyahu, till Mashiach comes, he creates a calendar based on all of the astronomical calculations and the system of Judaism, including leap years, including months that have 29 days, months that have 30 days, and Heshman and Kislev that have to alternate almost every single year. And he creates a system that is as consistent with the laws of astronomy, as a human being can get. But he does one more thing. Who makes the day holy? Besden. We don't have a Sanhedrin today. So Hillel takes his Sanhedrin and he sanctifies every Rish Chaydish till Mashiach comes. So he'll sanctify every Rish Chaydish till Mashiach comes. He says it's a holy day. We're doing it right now. So today, we have a real Rish Chaydish. Even though we have no witnesses, we have no moon. I mean, we have a moon, we have no witnesses. Or we don't have, give significance to the witnesses. It's holy. If it's holy, if it's Rishchodesh, then Pesach is a real Pesach. Then I could get up on Pesach and say, And not lie. God never told me to eat matzah on Gimel Nisan. He told me to eat matzah on Tesmav Nisan. It's not a lie. I could get up Rishchodesh and say, And not lie. I could be liable feeding eating chametz on Pesach. If I do malach on the first day of sukkahs, I transgress the biblical violation. Who decided it's the first day of sukkahs? Maybe it's Erev sukkahs. This is all the cheshb the calculation that we make, relying on the system created in Eretz Yisrael. So Rav Kasher says that pshat and the Rambam is that Hillel made this calendar. And they already started to sanctify the days based on it in Eretz Yisrael. And then at the end of the Gemara, when the Sanhedrin actually dispersed and it was all over, now ultimately everybody just had the calendar, and we don't now need Eretz Yisrael for the calendar because we are relying on what he did in Eretz Yisrael in the year three around the year three fifty nine. How do I give this date? This date was given by Reb Gon, who lived a few hundred years later, and he says that's when Hillel made the Luach Dalit Allah from Yutess, which would be the year three fifty nine. After the common era. That's how it works by us today. That's what we rely on the luach. Clear? Any questions? You ought to be you. The moon orbits around the earth. Of course, the earth also orbits. Yes, the earth also orbits. Yes, yes. They're spheres, spheres. <laughs> <laughs> or, or maybe that's the <laughs> there's a posse in Tehillim yerach what's pshat? he made the moon so that we should be able to celebrate holidays when the Jewish people used the astronomical system to create the whole system of our calendar and Yom Tif, Basically, we are fulfilling the whole purpose of the astronomical system. That is the purpose of the astronomical system. So it's not just there's a system and we have to work out the system. We are actually revealing the meaning behind the system, the ultimate purpose of that system. (inaudible) Yes. If Hillel would only do it for his lifespan, no, saying, then we wouldn't be able to have Yom and today that are biblical. Yeah, it would just be Jewish culture. And then we can eat rice on Pesach. Yes. Yes, yes. No, you couldn't replicate it. He had to be Mechadish Rishchadish. No, you're right. Once he got the system, it replicates itself. Yeah. Well, there's a system. It's a very precise system, so he follows it. I mean, you could study the system. There's, there's, it's a whole system of how the calendar was created. We, 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 many have studied the system. It's a system that he created, and we see. And, and there, he, he had to deal with every nuance. Remember, your th- 365 and a half days puts you off. Your 29 and a half days puts you off. The extra minutes, the extra seconds puts you off. Everything becomes something that has to be accountable. In fact, there's a big, big problem that's going to emerge after 6,000 years. But I'm not going to confuse you right now about it. It has to do with Tkufus Rab'ad, Ava, Berchus or whatever. It's, it's a separate system that the Rambamosa deals with. But everything was a very nuanced calculation, yeah? That's a wonderful question. Why do we celebrate two days Yom Tov? I want to explain his, your question so everybody understands. When Bezden said, say, yesterday was Rishchodesh, right? Uh, Shabbos was Rishchodesh Shvat. In the times till the end of the Gemara, what would happen? Witnesses would come Shabbos morning. They would come into Bezdin and they would say, we saw the moon Friday night. Bezdin would say, great, Shabbos morning, mekudesh, mekudesh, mekudesh." Shabbos is Rishchidosh. It was a 29-day month. Shabbos was Rishchidosh. Okay, Shvat has no significant holidays. But let's say it would be Nissan. What are Jews in Iraq supposed to do? So today you would do a WhatsApp message. They didn't have WhatsApp then. They didn't have text. What do you do? So they did a very interesting system all the way back from biblical times. They would go up to mountains and the night... 29 at night, the witnesses saw the moon. The next day they made Rishchodesh. The night of 30, they lit bonfires on top of mountains. The Jews living further away lit other bonfires, and the news would travel fire to fire, torch to torch to torch. It was literally passing the torch, so to speak, until Iraq, until Babylonia. And everybody knew there's a fire? Gewaldek. Today was Rishchodesh, and tomorrow is already Baiz. Everybody knew it. Of course, you know the story in the times of the second base, Hamikdash. There are breakaway groups from Judaism. And they want to confuse the system. They want to undermine the religion. They want to take away the authority of Chazal. They want to create a new system. So what do they do? Even if witnesses didn't come. So Rish Rishchodesh was not day 30. Rish Rishchodesh is going to be the next day. They will light bonfires. What happens to the Jews in Bovel in Iraq or Iran? In the second Beis HaMikdash, they're celebrating Pesach a day early. The, for them, the last day of Pesach is really the second to the last day of Pesach. They are eating chametz on the last day of Pesach. All of them. And they don't know better. There, were, there was a bonfire. The Sanhedrin figured this out and they changed the system. No bonfires. What do you do? They would now send out individual messengers. Shluchim. To every community. The problem is, a bonfire you find out in how long? In 20 minutes. For emissaries to travel. If you live close by, you find out. And if you don't live close by, you don't find out. So what do all the Jews in Iraq do? They don't know when Pesach is. If Rish Chodesh was day 30, Pesach is on Sunday. If Rish Chodesh was day 31, Pesach is on Monday. So what do they do? They're celebrating now an extra day, every Yom Tov. They're going to start Pesach Sunday, a day early, and they call it Tzvei Kadiyoyma. This is where the institution of Yom Tavshenish Shal Goliath happens. Now, after the calendar, this should all be nullified. Once Hillel establishes the calendar, now there's no doubt anymore. We know when Pesach is, because we're not relying on the witnesses. We're relying on the establishment of the calendar. And the Rambam told us, that when you have no witnesses and no vision, you follow the calendar. And I'll tell you even more, this is a Geval echidish of Reb Sa'ad Yagon. Reb Sa'ad Yagon believes, he's a unique position, that they used the calendar even early on. He says, what did they do 40 years in the desert? They were surrounded by clouds. If they were surrounded by clouds, how did they see the new moon? So Reb Sa'ad Yagon believes they did exactly what we do. And then he has one more thing he says. It says in Tanakh, the Haftar of Erev Rishchidosh, V'ayoymer lo you Remember? Yoyneson tells David tomorrow is going to be Rish Chaydash. my father Shaul is going to make a meal and he will remember you because you'll be absent asks Yoyneson how did Yoinasan know tomorrow is going to be Rish Chaydash? maybe after tomorrow is going to be Rish Chaydash? this is biased before the first base Shemikdash Yoyneson says they were relying on their calculations he has a whole shit to how it worked He believed that calculation started much earlier. Okay, from the Rambam we see he has a whole different perspective. The question is, after the calendar, why are you making two days? On this, the Gemara tells us in Masech the Bates in the first Patek that they sent a message to all the Jews in the foreign cities and that is meaning since that generation, their ancestors, everybody's father and Zaid observed two days Pesach, two days Shavuos, two days sukkis. Rosh Hashan, everybody observes two days because even in Yerushalayim they had to observe two days, but it's not for this shir. But since you did it in the past, don't interrupt that tradition. So we started a day
1: earlier, you huh?
0: have the first day of Pesach a day earlier. What do you mean? They get. They added Shal Pesach. They add an extra day of Yom Tif. the way it was done originally, not to interrupt the tradition of those regions. So the Chachamim who made the calendar sent a message to all the communities where they used to do two days Yom Don't cut down now. Make one day Yom Tif. Follow it. But it goes so far that we make a bracha for the second day Rosh Hashanah. Even though we know it's not Rosh Hashanah. Isn't that a bracha levatalah? How do you say Lishmoyah Kol for the second day Rosh Hashanah? How do you say Allah Chilas Matzah, the second Seder of Pesach? You don't have no mitzvotit matzah. Why are you saying God's name? The answer is, because the Chazal of the time gave it so much significance, so it became like a rabbinic commandment, like lighting Hanukkah candles. You say Hashem Godesh shanah the Because they told us to keep a second day Yom the Ramak, Rabbi Moshe Cordovero, explains it Kabbalistically, very interestingly. And he says, which of course gives it much more flavor, because Alpi Allah is tradition. It brings out the power of tradition. It would be very distasteful, you're raising a child. Last year was eight days Pesach, today seven days Pesach. What happens? Oh, we became smarter. Really? Zayde, Elta Zayde, were all dumb, and we became smart. So he says, keep the tradition. Ramak writes that in Chutz Laaretz, the energy is dispersed. So in Eretz Yisrael, what it takes 24 hours to experience, you need 48 hours outside of Eretz Yisrael. It would be like you have a teacher who's brilliant, and he's giving over very profound wisdom. So a person who's been there for many years, and is trained to think that way, so the teacher speaks for a few minutes, and he gets it. And the other student has to sit for hours, until he absorb it, because he doesn't have the vessels to contain it. So in Eretz Yisrael, which is in closer proximity to the energy, in 24 hours you got the job done. The further you go away from Eretz Yisrael, you need more containers and literally more space and time, 48 hours to experience the same energy. And that's why they didn't change the calendar, which means, that's why they didn't change the institution, which means, and here we come to the next stage of the She'er, that the historical realities are always reflective of spiritual realities. It's not like oh, because uh, the Tzedukim destroyed the system of bonfires, so therefore we have to go to the Shluchim so therefore we have to create a second day of holidays which is unnecessary evil because of the problem. It means that it's reflective of the spiritual process of history and the energy dispersing throughout the world. Yeah? Why are we Well, we want to do because if not, we never have a first day. Our first days will always be rabbinic. You want the first day of Yom Tiv to be the real Yom Tov You understand? If an Eitzes Shaul is is Sunday, that's our first day of Pesach. And Taka, the second day is Midir Abbanan. It's called Yom Tev Shani Shel Goliath. Sham Tev Shani Shel They're using two sets of books One, you based on the calendar, and one, side you doing based on tradition. That's two different things, then. You go one way or the other. No, no, you follow the calendar, but you follow completely the calendar. That's when we know when Pesach is, or First day It's always the calendar. However, we'll add, though, if I lived in a place where if I would have been alive during the time of the second day of I would have added another day Yom Tif, I would have done nine days Sukkot, eight days Pesach, and two days Shavuos, I will continue to do that without playing with the calendar, without compromising the calendar. I, it's not going to take away from the calendar that I do a second day Shavuos. Zion, Sivan, I also celebrate. I make the same bracha, I make Kiddush, I daven, I do kriya satayr, and so forth. So why don't we do every Rish Chodesh in America two days? a question. The answer, no. What's the answer? Because in America they didn't celebrate Rish Chodesh. In Iraq they didn't have to celebrate Rish Chodesh. You understand? There were no mitzvahs on Rish Chodesh outside of the Beis Hamikdash. The Beis Hamikdash had to bring a special carbon. Pesach, I have to eat matzah. I have to eat marr, I have to drink four cups of wine. I have to tell the story to my children. Rish Hashanah, I have to blow shofar. Yom Kippah, I have to fast. Rish Chodesh wasn't a celebration for me, so I didn't have to worry about it. One day, two days. Pesach, I had to make eight days. You understand? That's the difference, That's the reason. Why didn't they send pigeons like during the Second World War? There's nothing to celebrate. What should they celebrate? Okay, but it, it wasn't an issue. It wasn't a problem. It wasn't a problem, you understand? It wasn't a problem. Ah question. Okay, I want to get to the second phase here, but I'll just answer you very briefly. What about Shavuos? So really Shavuos is a very interesting situation. Shavuos is not, doesn't have a date. It's the only holiday without a date. The Torah says, on the second day of Pesach, start counting. Count 49 days. And on day 50, you have a holiday of Shavuos. By the time Shavuos came around, the Jews knew when Pesach was. So they knew when Shavuos is going to be. So therefore, Shavuos really never had to be observed for more than one day. Because it took Shluchim a few weeks to get there, but not 50 days. So every community, by the time Shavuos came around, knew when Sfirah Sa'imer started. If you knew when Sfirah Sa'imer started, you know when Shavuos is. You don't have to know when Rosh Chodesh seven is. In fact, the Gemara says that Shavuos could be on the 5th of Sivan, on the 6th of Sivan, or on the 7th of Sivan. Why? If Nissen has 29 days and ear has 29 days, Shavuos will be the 7th of Sivan. If Nisan has 30 days and ear has 30 days, Shavuos will be on the 5th of Sivan. If Nissen and Eir have 129, 130, Shavuos will be on the 6th of Sivan. That's our Shavuos. The answer is, the Rambam says, in Hilchis Kiddush HaKhaydash, Shaloi lachlek Bemayadais. The same reason they instituted a second day, in order not to differentiate between Yom and Tavim, that all Yom have two days, besides Shavuos. So they said Shavuos should also have two days, so it should be like Pesach and Sukkos. So the Chasam Soifer writes, chsam soifer, that therefore yomtiv sheni Shel Goliath of Shavuos is much more serious than all the other holidays. Because by all the other holidays, the second day had a gather of Suffolk. By Shavuos, it had a gather of Vaday. By the other holidays, it was, we don't know, so we're doing the best we can. By Shluas, it was a getter of Vadai. We know that it's the wrong day. We're celebrating it because Chazal made it a Yomtuf, just like they made Chanakem Purim a Yomtuf. Again, Alpinister, the Ramak says, Moshe Cordovero writes in, I think, uh, in his, uh, in one of his Svarim. it's so not a famous Sefer. He has a Sefer, the Ramak, he says there. That it's because, as I said, the law, it's the energy, you need 48 hours. I want to address now... I want to now... I'm going to try to do this <laughs> very briefly. But I want to address now phase two. Because basically, what we learned now was, in a very brief and concise way, the general structure of our... Calendar. how Rish Chodesh is established then and how Rish Chodesh is established today but here's the question based on everything we learned why is it that our moons our, our months have to follow the moon based on this nuanced complex problem with the moon which the sun doesn't have <laughs> The sun is 365 days. It never changes. It doesn't wax. You don't need witnesses. And we anyway follow the sun for our years. But our months have to follow the moon. And because of that, our calendar is the most complicated calendar of all the calendars that humanity has created since the genesis of history, as far as we know. Second, What is the significance of the fact that Jewish history is literally split into two? Till the 4th century, there's one way of establishing our calendar, our Rishchidosh and all of our holidays. And remember, that's a long time. Because the Beis HaMikdosh was built 400 years after they came into Eretz Yisrael, destroyed 410 years later. So that's 800 years after they come into Eretz Yisrael. Then there is a second base Hamikdash, which stands for another 420 years. And then you have another 300 years in which you're still doing the system. So you're basically more than 2,000 years, around 2,500 years, approximately, right? No? Okay, I'm sorry. 800 years is the Chorban, around 800, a little longer. And then you have 70 years, and then you rebuild, you have another 500 years. So it's approximately uh, 1,500 years. Around 18 or 1900 years, between 18 and 1900 years again, approximately, you have one system that is completely based on witnesses. Yes, you mean after Sheni? Yes. Yeah, yeah, 440 years before Muslim had built the kingdom. And then you have the second phase of Jewish history, which basically is also exactly the same amount of time. It's basically around. Uh, 17, six, it's now around how many years? 3.59 to now is how many years? Huh? 1,600 years. That history changed and now we have a calendar. So it's almost like an equal split between these two parts of Jewish history where the whole system changes and it was put in that way into the system. As the Rambam says, Allah Khilomar Sinai." if you can do it this way, you do it this way. If you can't do it this way, you do it this way. I want to ask another very important question. Why is this mitzvah the prelude to the redemption of the Jewish people from Mitzrayim? What connection is there between the moon's renewal and Yitzhi Mitzrayim? And in fact, I would say it even seems maybe a little bit cruel or a little bit insensitive or inhumane. I mean, it's two weeks before the Exodus. The Jewish people have been suffering for many, many years. Hashem speaks to Moshe and Aaron. We expect the first thing he's going to say is, guys, it's almost over. Which he does in a few psukim. He says, wait, wait, wait. Before, let's now give you an astronomic, astronomical lesson about the new moon. Is this really the moment to do this? They're agonizing him at And the first thing he says before anything else, ashir in and now I gave you a very small version of it. But when Hashem was pointing to the moon, he gave him basically the whole system. This is what they have to hear two weeks before Yitzhak Mitzrayim. It's the first message he tells them in the mitzvahs connected to Yitzhak Mitzrayim. And it's this what they have to know right now. What's the relevance? And what's the urgency? And what's the importance? And what is more, this is the first mitzvah given to the Jewish people. Why is this the first mitzvah? And not only that, Rashi believes that this should have been the beginning of the whole Torah. In other words, how should Judaism begin? The first thing you have to know, that's what you have to know. That's the beginning of everything. Instead, it became Bereshesh's Baruchim as which is a pretty central idea that God created the world. What was supposed to be the beginning? The only thing is, in order to justify Jewish Jews living in Eretz Yisrael, you have to go from to Beresh's Baruchim as And finally, Everybody here, I think, understood more or less of what we spoke about. Apparently, Moshe couldn't understand any of this. The Gemara says in Menaches, Dav chavtas. three things Moshe couldn't wrap his brain around. And Hashem had to actually do a video presentation for him. One of them was, Chidr There were another two things, Shrozim and Minoira. the Gemara and By both of them, it says he had to point, he had to show them what Shrozim you don't need, also difficult to understand. What creeping creatures you don't eat, and how to build the candelabra, the menorah. But the first thing, as Rashi says, in Iskasha Moshe, Moshe couldn't figure it out. And Hashem had to literally give him a tutorial, point his finger, and show him everything. What was so difficult about this more than any other mitzvah? The Rambam even says, if you remember, the Rambam's word was, he didn't show him the moon, he showed him the moon, in an image of prophecy. And Agav, I'll tell you something, the Rakhachov writes. How does the Ram know it was Navua? Maybe he took him out. It says, Rashi says it was before dark. He took him out and he pointed to the moon. What's the big deal? Why did he have to show him in prophecy? So the Rakhachov writes in in Paneach. I'll say it very brief. It's a very deep word. He says, because we don't really see the moon. <laughs> we don't see anything. Based on our position and the position of the moon versus the sun we see what we could see of, how, of, of the moon, the way we define it. So he says, if Hashem would show the moon, He would show truth. But that truth we don't see. So if he would tell Moshe, this is the reality that you have to see in order to make Rishchodesh, it would be the wrong reality. So you have to show him in the Vua, the moon that we are capable of seeing now, that had to be a vision and prophecy. The moon that we're capable of seeing based on our vision today. That's what the Rekh Gan says. In Safnas Panech. And with this, he answers a lot of questions about kiddush hakidush—a big question of the minchas chinuch. But that's a separate Shia. What calendar the Mitzrayim do? <laughs> I don't know. But by us, it gets complicated. Three hundred and sixty-five days a year, or three hundred and fifty-four days a year. When it comes to the ketores. We say every morning, "Tana Rabbanu Pita Do you remember? Shloish Meias v'Shishim Monim Hayuva and that creates a problem because we don't have 365 days in our year. You made 365 portions of incense, you don't have 365 days. What do you do with it? There's something called the Mishnais Moisar HaKtoiris. Every year they knew they might have leftovers, unless it's going to be a leap year. But this was a very interesting thing, the Ktoiris had to go according to the sun, not according to the moon. This has to do with Ktoiris, okay, it's again a separate sugya. So I'm going to bring out one point here. I'm going to try to do this very briefly, and we're going to go here from the world of Nigla to the world of uh, Nister. And the following Torah was shared by the Lubavitcher Rebbe at a a talk, Shabbos Parshas Nitzavim, Tovshin Yutes, the last Shabbos before Rosh Hashanah, 1959. I'm going to share with you one very deeply moving, emotional And I think transformative idea that gives perspective to the inner dynamics of everything we explained from a deeper emotional, spiritual, psychological, and perhaps, I would say, historical perspective. The moon and the sun represent two different lives. The moon represents the stable person, the sun represents the stable person, and the moon represents the lack of stability in life. In fact... When you want to talk about a mishugana, what's the word you use for him in English? Lunatic. A lunatic. Why was he zoiche to this name lunatic? Why does the moon have such yichus? That every mishugana we have to associate with the moon, he's a loony. he's a lunatic? The answer is because, welcome to the world of the moon. The moon represents unpredictability. You look at the moon, ah, gewaldik, you expect tomorrow to meet the same moon, no, he's in a different mood but actually he's in a better mood. He's growing, he's more light, he's more handsome, he's more perfect. And then you come to the 15th day of the month, and you say, ah, I'm a chaya, what a great relationship I'm going to have with you. Look at you! The next day he gets depressed. He starts waning and waning and waning and waning. And then suddenly, he disappears completely. For two days, she crawls under the bed, or he crawls under the bed. Complete depression, isolation, you don't see them, they're invisible, they give up on life. You think you're never going to see them again, and suddenly rebirth. Anybody relates to what I'm talking about, or anybody is married to somebody that you can appreciate this, either you're to be a moon, or you're to be in a relationship with a moon. It's usually one of the two. And I don't know what's more difficult. If you're a moon yourself, it's one headache. And if you're married to a moon, it's another headache. And if you're zoyche to be married, you're a son, and be married to a son, then you got your own problems. Because then everything is predictable and (laughs) becomes tough. But that's what relationships are about. And the truth is in each of us there's a sun and a moon. You know there's days that you're you're stable, you're consistent, you're persevere, determination. And then there's days that we go up and we go down. Life becomes a Ferris wheel or even more a roller coaster. In a Ferris wheel you also go up and down. But it's, you know, it's a slow transition. In a roller coaster... It's spontaneous. You're going up and then boom, you're going straight and then you give that drop only to go back up again. But the moon has that one quality that the sun doesn't have and it's called the moilud, rebirth. It hides, it wanes, it disappears, it becomes invisible from our perspective. But it doesn't give up. It comes back to life. It gives birth to itself again. It's resurrected. And that is the only thing we know about the moon. It's predictably unpredictable, but it's predictable in the sense that it will never disappear completely. It will always come back. It will wax, it will reach its completion, it will descend again, and yes, it will resurface again. So basically, that is what the moon, the secret, the dynamic of what the moon represents. And in many ways, this is so reflective of human life and Jewish life individually and collectively. Individually, we go through phases, every one of us. Collectively, we have had periods of peace, tranquility, success, almost perfection and wholesomeness. And then we have experienced the times of waning, of darkness, of misery, of agony we reached the heights of spiritual splendor, and we have also faced the abyss. Jewish history is not compared to the sun. Jewish history is a moon. The Gemara says in Levana. We are compared to the moon, and that's why we create our calendar based on the moon. The moon is reflective of the individual journey, and the collective journey of the Jew individually, and of Am Yisrael of the Jewish people. So Kiddush HaKadosh, the celebration of Rosh HaKadosh, was said to Moshe exactly at this moment. Before Jews are liberated from Egypt, before they're going to leave, this great bondage, subjugation, and enslavement, the great oppression that they suffered for, 210 years in Egypt, this mitzvah is the first mitzvah Why? Because it captures and it symbolizes the journey and the destiny of this nation as individuals and as a collective people. And the message is, never ever surrender to a life of complete depression, isolation and mediocrity. You always have the potential to renew your vigor, to recreate your energies, no matter how dark you can always resurface. No matter how difficult, you can always be reborn. No matter how challenging, you can always emerge again on the face of the horizon. You could come back and bounce back with complete vigor and force and vitality. And this the Jewish people knew in their psyche, consciously or subconsciously. How did they know it? Because Hashem told it to Moshe as the first mitzvah. The first system, the first thing I want you to know as a people, Jews always felt in their bones, as they still feel, that even the greatest darkness, the greatest challenges, the greatest difficulties, even as their moon seemed to have disappeared completely, it really meant that at that moment, the moon was really facing the sun. It's not just that the moon didn't disappear. It's that's the moment that the moon actually face the sun. In other words, it was absorbing the greatest and deepest light. But whenever you absorb infinite light, the containers of life often can't facilitate that light. And therefore the containers portray darkness, despair, negativity. But the Jews knew if they're going to hold on, Not only will they not disappear, they will actually be reborn with even a deeper, renewed creativity and energy after getting this whole new dosage of light precisely in that moment of darkness. And that's the uniqueness of the moon over the sun. The sun is so much larger than the moon. But the sun never grows. The moon grows. And that's the key. The sun is more perfect, larger, more powerful, more full of vigor, heat, brightness, warmth. But the sun doesn't grow. The moon grows. I think I told you there was a man, his name was Sir Edmund Halley. And he tried to climb Mount Everest. In 1952, he tried and tried and he failed. And they made a dinner for him in Britain. He was a man from New Zealand. And they wanted to honor him for his attempts. And uh, they had a huge portrait of Mount Everest. And he gets up and he gives a speech. And at some point he turns around to the picture and he starts talking to the mountain. And he says, Mount Everest, you have beaten me. You have defeated me. You have proved me a failure. But you know what? One day I will win you. One day I will scale your heights and I will reach your top. You know why? Because you're much bigger than me and stronger than me and taller than me. But you stopped growing a long time ago. And I did not stop growing. The next year, he made it to the top of the mountain. The sun is far greater and more powerful, but the moon grows. Shahema masidim kemois, as we say in Kedush Now, take a look for a moment at Jewish history. I want to go on a little journey, a very fast journey, and we'll see that Jewish history is not just Jews who knew how to endure catastrophe. Jews who were persecuted, hunted down, often murdered, and yet they didn't give up. They recreated life, they recreated families, they recreated a future. That's true. Jews always renewed themselves. But what I want to show you is that Jews did much more than that. They saw every crisis as something that contained a secret of unique opportunity that didn't exist before. In other words, they saw crisis as the sun, fa- as the moon facing the sun, and learning and obtaining a new light that now they will have to reveal within a new era, and that's why every tragedy in Jewish history begat new creativity. Where did it begin? Yaakov Avinu, when the angel tries to kill him, and maims him, and defeats him, and wounds him, and he's limping. And then he says to Yaakov, it's time for me to go. Yaakov says, I will not send you until you bless me. Yaakov doesn't just say, get out of here you gangster, and say, and move on. No, no, no. If I met you, it means I have to come away blessed. It's not enough for me to get rid of you. I must ultimately find the blessing in you. What blessing, what growth will I learn from you? What moiled what Rosh Chodesh, what new Chodesh will I learn from you? That's what Yaakov Avinu said. And thus his children took it as a message for life in every single situation. Comes churban Bay one of the greatest destructions. At that time it was the destruction of the Jewish people. Yecheskel Hanavi, the Anshei Sagdoila invent the concept of a mikdash ma'at, of a base HaMiktash that is in every single community, a shul, a base Medrash. The Anshei Sagdoila create a whole renaissance of Jewish life represented by Teir Comes Churbin Bayez Sheni, the worst of the worst till the Holocaust. And what happens? You have the explosion of Mishnayis and Gemara. The entire major literature of what captures the full majesty of Judaism came in the very years and the aftermath of the greatest destruction of Jewish life. The entire institution of Talmud Bavli, Talmud Yerushalmi, Mishnayis, Medrashim, the entire, the entire body of Teir Shabalpeh, the Mechiltas and the Toiseftis, and Sifra and Sifri, and all the Medrashim, Zoyer, etc., all in the aftermath and the creativity, of Rabbi Akiva, who himself was murdered by the Romans. That's the aftermath of Hurban Bayesheni. From the Crusades come what's known as Hasidic ashkenaz I don't know how many of you are familiar with hasid ashkenaz the North European school of, uh, of piety, of spirituality, and a whole new explosion of Talmudic scholarship, of Rashi, the Bali Hatosvis, and the great Rishonim, who are riding in those regions in Germany, France, and England, with the persecution of the Middle Ages, reaches its heights. Nobody would imagine that Rashi is sitting and writing his pirush on Baba Metzia and Baba Kame on Chumash outside. The first crusades of 1096 are happening, where the communities of Spire, of Worms, of Mainz, are being destroyed in Germany. And then you have the Spanish expulsion of 1492. And in the aftermath of the Spanish expulsion of 1492, you have the greatest explosion of Kabbalah, of Pnemi Yisatera, the school of the Ramak, and the school of the Ariza. The people who were exiled from Spain and run to Tzfas, like the Beis Yosef, like Reb Moshe Cordovero, like the great Mechabalim, give us Kabbalah Shabbos. They give us L'chadoidi L'chraskalop Shabas Shabbos nekabla, written by the Jews, who were expelled. And you have here the great, great revolution and revelation of Teres Hanister, which happens in the 15th century and the 16th century, especially by the Arizal and the Guria Arizal and his students, precisely in the aftermath of the Spanish expulsion, which, as you may know, was one of the greatest crises of Jewish history. And in the aftermath of Bogdan Chmielinetsky, Tachen Tachentat 1648 and 1649, which decimated Polish Jewry decimated, and in the aftermath of a Shab Tzvi, which spiritually decimated Jews of Eastern Europe who believed in a false Mashiach, emerged the Oyeshiva Sayamim, the light of the Balsham Tev. and the whole revelation of the world of Chesidus, which literally cast a whole new sophistication, a new depth, a new vitality, a new uh, perspective and vantage point in every mitzvah, in every sugya. In the entire perspective of what the Yiddish guide is, the relationship of God to the Jew, creating a spiritual, internal uh, renaissance in broken, devastated, dejected, melancholy Jews who suffered uh, so profoundly. Our generation saw the greatest destruction of, of Jews, the previous generation, some of our parents and our grandparents, known as the Holocaust. And the Holocaust was so devastating that most normal people afterwards didn't only feel the spear. It was beyond the spear. As, as everyone has told me, we didn't have any tears left. You couldn't even despair. There were no tears left. What they saw were mounds of ashes of six million. Physically, like in Maidanek, where the ashes are still there or conceptually. And for those who were there it was not conceptual, it was reality. But look what they did. Look what a generation did. They recreated a renaissance. They rebuilt Eretz Yisrael and they created a renaissance of Judaism, of communities, of Torah, of yeshivas, of of, of Judaism and of Yiddishkeit the world over, which will one day be recorded as one of the greatest miracles of human history and of Jewish history. They say, why did the Chinese survive for 5,000 years? Because in China, you know, the word for crisis, the same character. You know how they have their images? The same image that they have for the word crisis is also the image that they have for the word opportunity. But Hebrew does it much better and much deeper. We have two words in Hebrew. We have one word in Hebrew and they have two meanings. The word is mashber. What does a mashber mean? A breakdown. But what does mashber also mean? A birthing stool. A birthing stool. As Rashi says in Shmois, Alha of Noim. every Mashber they saw as a moment of birth. Why? That's the moon, the Halavona, the moment of birth. The mo- moon disappeared. It's a breakdown. It disappeared, but they knew this is the moment of rebirth. The moon is absorbing the light, and that light it's going to bring back in a revealed way into the world. That moment, that creativity, that dream, that perspective was born when? By the words, ha-chodesh It's at this moment before they're leaving Egypt and Moshe is turning to God and saying, okay, God, you're going to set us free, but I have a bigger question. Who needs all of this? And Hashem usually doesn't give an answer to that. As you know, there's no real answer for pain. People who give answers for pain are either stupid or cruel. Einstein said two things are infinite. Einstein said two things are infinite, the universe and stupidity, and the latter is more former th- and the latter is more infinite than the former. There's no real answer to the pain. What Hashem was telling Moshe is I want you to know Ha I just want you to know that you will be part of a nation that will learn and discover that in life they will never ever surrender to paralysis, stagnation and death. People have wrote the obituary of the Jewish people many, many times. But as they say about one writer who woke up one morning and he saw in the newspaper an obituary about him and he wrote a response and he said, the news about my demise has been exaggerated. And so, the Jewish people never allowed anybody to write their obituary. Rather, They made the desert bloom. There is something profoundly spiritual, as well as robustly practical, about this ability of the Jews to transform the bad moments of life into a spur to creativity. It is as if deep within us us, were a voice saying, you are in this situation, bad though it is, because there is a task to perform, a skill to acquire, a strength to develop, a lesson to learn, an evil to redeem, a shard of light to be rescued, a blessing to be uncovered. I have chosen you, the Jews felt about themselves, that God has chosen you, them, to give testimony to humankind that out of suffering can come great blessings if you wrestle with it for a long enough time and with an unshakable faith. This is ha hazelachem. But... In Jewish history, there have been two phases. And here is what the Rebbe taught in 1959, only 12, only 15, 14 short years after the destruction of European Jewry. Initially, Hashem tells Moshe HaChoydish HaZelachem, meaning this process ought to be determined by clear vision and eyesight. Basically, each month, two witnesses would see and experience this. They would be able to experience with their eyesight, with their vision. They would be able to see the new moon. (laughs) They would see the new moon being born out of the darkness, out of the concealment. It was their testimony of a first-hand experience that allowed the Jewish court to say, this is the new month, this is Chodesh. this is a holy day. It allowed the, new court, the court to proclaim the new Chodesh, the onset of a new month, a new month, new energy, new yamim Tovim, new festivals, new creativity. But Jewish history evolves. And at some point the darkness becomes far denser, far more thick, far more horrific. The moon's darkness becomes broader and becomes deeper. And becomes deeply entrenched in the human psyche. And that stops. At some point, we have been deprived from the ability to see the process. To be able to physically and emotionally see the truth of the process. The ability to be able to look at life, look at darkness and say, it's the beginning of a new light. It's rebirth. Majber is only a birthing stool. The ability to see it with your eyes represents an intimate awareness, a clear understanding and conviction how darkness yields a new light, how the death of the moon is really only the beginning of its rebirth. And at that point, many believed that at last the Jewish moon has died. It's time to call in the Hever Kadisha, the Mesaskim, to put up a nice monument with the words Yizgadal ve and ultimately say, we tried for a few thousand years, no empire lives for more than a few thousand years. Rome was the strongest. They lived for 500 years. Was willst du? You were around for 1,800 years with your moon again and again and again. But at some point, it's time to leave center stage and allow other cultures and other tribes, just like the Egyptians are gone, and just like the Assyrians are gone, and just like the Babylonians are gone, and the Philistines are gone, and the Greeks are gone, and the Persians are gone, and the Romans are gone, and the Byzantines are gone. And it's time for the Jews to say we put up a good fight and it's time to go or so many thought came the second phase of jewish history and not only did it not spell the end of the jewish people but rather a new creativity was born and part of that creativity became the conversion of one type of reshhaidish to a new type of reshhaidish the eulogy for our people has been premature at that point in jewish history hillel which means light Hillel means light. (laughs) Behiloi neiroi al-Roshi is Apostol Kaniyev. Hillel and the great sages say, even if we are incapable of seeing, of experiencing with our eyes, the evolution and unfolding of redemption from a state of exile, we could still know that this is the way. And this is the difference between the Rishchodesh created through the eyesight and testimony of the witnesses, and the Rishchodesh created now through the (coughs) cheshbenh. Through the awareness, through the learning, through the calculation. Even Jews who would not be capable of looking at the darkness and seeing the moylut could still be aware of its truth, could still breathe its truth, can still be inculcated intellectually and therefore ultimately emotionally with this truth. They established a calendar, a system of life based on this truth, based on this rhythm. Even when you could not see it, you could live it, you could feel it in your bones, you could understand it, you can appreciate it. The calculations of Hillel allowed us to always comprehend that even if it would be invisible to the naked eye, it would still be true. And how true this has been in so many of our lives individually and collectively. Many people sitting in this room, I know, quite personally, have been through very painful moments in life. There are a few people sitting in this room that I happen to know have been through such levels of tragedy and abuse and pain that literally I would expect them today to be completely drugged up, completely insane, completely abnormal, completely dysfunctional. And yet they live glorious, dignified, happy, wholesome and meaningful lives. Can I tell you that when they saw their darkness, they could see rebirth Absolutely not. They could not. They could feel pain, they felt horror, they felt insanity and they often felt profound, profound agony, anger and questions. They couldn't see it, but they knew it. On some level they knew it. They knew it in their soul, they knew it in their heart, they knew it in their brain, they knew it in their psyche. They couldn't see it. They couldn't figure it out. We can't figure it out. And if you try to figure it out, and you try to see it, and see how it works, you sometimes end up with deep disappointment. Because these are levels of reality you can't wrap your brain around. You have to be humble, you have to respect the process, and you have to be sensitive to the journey. And that's what the calendar created. The calendar said, in history we won't be able to always see it. But we will be able to feel it, and we will be able to know it, and we will be able... To live by it. And now, 16 or 1700 years after Hillel, here we are. Yesterday we celebrated another Chodesh, Not only surviving, but thriving. And that's why by Kiddush Levona, every month we have this special ceremony. We go out and we look up to the moon. And we make a special blessing. And we finish. And we say, Sheheim Asidim LeHishchadosh Kamaisa. That cycle and journey of the moon represents the great blessing and miracle of Jewish history. Who never Jews never stopped renewing themselves, and will ultimately renew themselves with the greatest vigor when, as Chazal say, Kiddush HaChodesh Al will be restored. When we'll be able not only to feel it and experience it and live by it, but actually to be able to see that all the exile. And the whole journey and the whole process was essentially a moilad. It was essentially a birthing stool for the light of Mashiach Bim Bi Amenu Amein. Have a wonderful week. Thank you. That's a good question. The question is, we know, it says in Pirkei Rebbe Lezer, it's brought in Paiskem, that Chodesh is a holiday for women. Is there a connection? Of course. Throughout Jewish history, the ones who usually empowered the Jewish people to hold out in times of crisis was the woman. The woman is compared to the moon. Already in Egypt... Amram gave up. Amram separated from his wife, Yecheved. It was Miriam who confronted her father and said, Because of Miriam, Aisha was born. Throughout Jewish history, it was the Jewish woman who usually empowered the men, and of course themselves and their families and their communities, to be able to remain tenaciously unwavering in their dignity, and in their commitment, and in their long-term vision and faith. The Gemara says, The Alti Rebbe, the Balatanya, also has a whole discourse, a very interesting discourse, that biologically, the cycle of the feminine organism is connected to the cycle of the moon. And all of the laws of family purity, the two weeks and the two weeks, basically are connected to the cycle of the moon. The waxing and the waning, and two weeks this way, two weeks that way, etc. That is reflected also by the moon. That's the connection between Rishchidesh and the Jewish, the Jewish woman. If I'm not mistaken, also I once read that uh, when there's a premature birth, usually the females are more likely to, uh, are often in difficult situations, um, have more, uh, more chances of survival. There's an inner strength in crisis that a woman has. I don't have to tell you that if childbirth was given to men, probably would be an endangered species, yes? Ah! That explains, of course, what was so difficult for Moshe in the moon. What was so difficult for Moshe? It wasn't that Moshe didn't understand the halachas of Kiddush HaChadish. Hashem could have explained to him the halachas. We can learn it now. Moshe could have learned it from Hashem. The reason Hashem had to show him with his finger, as Rashi says, was... Basically, Moshe needed to understand here and be empowered with this great truth of Jewish history. How do we turn crisis into opportunity? And how do we look at darkness and believe that it's going to yield a new light? This is not an easy experience. And Moshe, as the first great Rebbe and shepherd and leader of the Jewish people, Niskasha Moshe, Moshe had a difficult time wrapping his brain around this phenomenon. And Hashem had to take him out and show him with his finger, This was the ultimate empowerment that Moshe got for all of Jewish history, from Yitzhiah Mitzrayim until B.S. until the Gulabim Hei Yeah? Okay, that's a very good question. You're 100% right. You're 100% right. I think I said it, but let me clarify it. It's not only that the Jewish people understood that the darkness is only temporary and there's going to be new light. It's much deeper than that. When does the moon become eclipsed from our vision? when it's getting the most light from the sun when it's directly parallel in a straight line between the earth and the sun and it's absorbing all of the light of the sun it's actually the greatest unity between the sun and the moon as the Rambam puts it Tidbak it's a moment of vacas it's a moment when she's co- totally cleaved to the sun paradoxically that's the moment when we don't see anything and this is what Judaism and Jews understood throughout history Sometimes it's difficult to understand, but the moment in your life when you are experiencing what seems like as the greatest uncertainty, the deepest darkness, the deepest confusion, the deepest dilemmas and struggles, that is sometimes the moment when your deepest light is being created in your womb, in your system, in your soul. It's not revealed at the moment because powerful light can't always be revealed when the containers are limited so there's going to be a moilad and there's going to be a rish that is going to bring forth that new light in a revealed way, but that moment of darkness is yichut shimshav it's called in Kabbalah the moment of unity between the sun and the moon between the lunar and the solar in Kabbalistic terms it's called za and malchus Zocher Nakeva, masculinity, femininity, but that is the deepest intimacy, the deepest unity. It's connected to the idea of the Gemara Yume. Yuma. We once spoke about it. We did a shear on it. That B'shoshenichr su Nachrim lahechol rok ruvim urin zebaza. When the Gentiles Yuma dafnun daladamet base dafnun daladamet aleph. When the Gentiles came into the hechol to destroy it. They saw the cherubs intertwined with each other. It's strange. The Gemara says that the Kruvim represented Hashem and the Jewish people, the male and the female, the man and the woman, the Chassan and the Kala. During the time of the korban, it was the greatest estrangement. They should have looked away from each other. Not only did they look at each other, they were intertwined. So there's the famous Bnei Yisoschi quotes the Magad of Mizrich. says incredible idea that before the husband goes away, the Gemara says in Yevam, when a husband is going on a long journey, he has to be together with his wife the night before. When Shaz, the Reboi was going on a long journey into Galos, the night before, the day before, it was a moment of intimacy. And that intimacy between Hashem and the Jewish people is what allowed them to conceive the seed, the seed of who? The seed of Mashiach. It says in Yerushalmi and it's born in Allah. Mashiach is born on Tisha B'v. What does that mean? It means that Tisha B'v was the moment of intimacy before the husband is leaving on a long journey. At that moment, there was a conception of a new seed. Which seed? He impregnated Kalal Yisrael with the seed of Geula. When? In the moment of darkness. That's the moment when the sun is closest with the moon and you don't see anything. Because it's giving birth, it's conceiving a new light. The light of a new month, a new creativity, a new depth. Right now you see nothing. But Geula is the birth of that seed, of that connection, of that internalization that happened when? During the moment of Tisha B'Av. That's similar to this concept. (laughs) Sheheim asidim lehishadash k'maysa. or even further that now that it's the last door before Mashiach like you said the Yitzchak was after the Holocaust the yeah, yeah. The that's why the Rashi is very good very nice very the, nice, the, the very, the, the nice very nice you see now we got back Eretz Yisrael it's back to Bredash's border no, no, was, very the, nice the, very point. nice very nice I want to tie these two together I want to give you a hug for this that's the first thing second thing first mitzvah was HaChodesh HaZelachim. Why? Spell out the word Bereshis. Bez, Reish, al and Yusuf. It's 1820. 1820, is Pasuk in the Torah. hash Beautiful. It's not my board, but it's Bereshis, Begematria, 1820. Don't no, no, spelled out. Oh, spelled, spelled out. Bez, Yusuf. Bez, Yusuf. Spell out Yudzuf. the letters, 1820, 1820, and that's the Pasuk of HaChodesh HaZelachim. Al- the number of times Hashem. is, the Torah, is 1820.